Well, as we approach the Word of God this morning, let's bow together in a word of prayer, asking for the Lord's help. Our Father, we do come before you, uh, and you are the holy God, thrice holy, as your Word and as we just sang. We do not deserve to be able to have access to you, to be able to talk to you, to be able to be in your presence. But because of the gospel, because of the work of your Son, we are clothed not in our own unrighteousness, but our filthy rags have been replaced with the robes of the king. We have his righteousness, pure gift by pure grace. It's that grace that we stand in this morning, and I pray that you would continue that grace to us as we open your word, seek to understand what you have for us, and desire to know your mind and your heart. Father, teach us this morning by your spirit, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, as we all know, in our daily lives, listening carefully sometimes is easier said than done. We all like to think that we're good listeners, and yet oftentimes our even daily conversations show that we are not good listeners. Uh, husbands, it just takes, right, one conversation with our wives, and she says, honey, are you listening? And we say, oh, yes, honey course. Then what did I just say? <laughs> oh, you know, something about that. Uh, or our kids, right? Did you hear what I just tell, told you to, to do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I just say? Uh, I don't know. We, we struggle with listening carefully. And sometimes we can act like we've heard something properly. And in fact, we haven't. And I came across this anecdote this week that I thought illustrated this well from uh, the life of President Franklin Roosevelt. As a president, he often had long receiving lines, people that wanted to greet the president. And, you know, in those days when people could actually go to the White House and get access and actually greet the president. Um, and he did this for a while and then complained that no one was really listening, that it was, it was just this kind of perfunctory thing that was going on and no one was listening to what was being said during those those brief greetings. And so one day during a reception, he decided to try an experiment. To each person that passed down the line and shook his hand, he murmured, I murdered my grandmother this morning. <laughs> and the guests responded with phrases like, marvelous, keep up the good work. We're proud of you. God bless you, sir. It was not till the end of the line while greeting the ambassador from Bolivia, that his words were actually heard. And confused, the ambassador leaned over and whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> One guy who heard the, the crazy line of the president and decided to roll with it, which, is, which was great. But what, what it illustrates is that there were many people that heard the president that day that really didn't hear. They thought they heard something and they responded to it, but they didn't actually hear what he was saying. And sadly, this phenomenon is true spiritually as well. The people can hear the truth and think that they've heard it, but they haven't truly heard. They haven't truly listened. Multitudes of people sit in churches every week around the world and hear the word of God, but they do not listen carefully to it. We have 
been making our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we have come now to chapter 8, where we see Jesus addressing the issue of hearing. And so I invite you to turn in your personal copy of God's Word, if you're not there already, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. This chapter speaks about the next great phase of Jesus' Galilean ministry. He's been traveling around Galilee doing a, a preaching tour, and now he's, he's going to continue on out into a next phase of that. He's continuing to reveal himself to the nation of Israel, but as we've seen, he's facing continual opposition. And even though there are great crowds following him, there has been regular hostility, in particular hostility from the religious leaders. And so there's those that are directly opposed to him, the, the leadership of the nation. And then there's just a fascinated crowds, crowds that, that want to hear more, that like what they see, they like the miracles, but they're not fully decided. And Jesus recognizes that many of them are not truly listening to what he has to say. And so it's now in this chapter that he begins to change his, teach, his teaching style a bit by beginning to speak in parables. Parables are a teaching style that will hide the truth from the masses, but will reveal additional truth to the, to the disciples, as we'll see. And so there's a, a transition taking place here in Jesus' ministry where he begins to shift his focus from public uh, presentation to private uh, preparation of his disciples. He recognizes with this growing opposition to him that he's ultimately, this is going to end in death. This is going to end in the cross. He knows that. His disciples don't yet know that. The nation doesn't yet know that. But he's beginning to prepare for that result. But even as he is preparing for that, he continues to call out, to continue to pro proclaim and, and broadcast himself to the nation, calling them to believe in him and say, I am your Messiah. I am the promised one. Trust and believe in me. And that's what he has continued to do in our passage this morning. So follow along as I read in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It says, Soon afterward he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and with it choked it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. 
The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be, made, will not, uh, be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, and, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word and do it. In these verses, we encounter the word, some form of the word hear nine times. Some form of the word hear nine times clearly is the theme of this text. Verse 8, most prominently, he who has, has ears to hear, let him hear. Or verse 18, he says, take care how you hear. In the verse we ended with, verse 21, he says, my mothers and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so in this passage, I want to draw our attention to four results of careful listening to Jesus. Four results of careful listening to Jesus. You see, without listening to Jesus' words carefully, we will miss out on these amazing results. We want to see these results in our lives, then we must take care how we hear. We must listen to what Jesus has to say. We must listen to the Word of God carefully. So let's look at these individually. First, in verses 1 through 3, we see that careful listening to Jesus results in generous ministry. Careful listening to Jesus results in generous ministry. Verse 1 says that Jesus goes out on this tour through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He was not camped out in one place, but he continued to move about to share the word of God wherever he went. This is around the region of Galilee, which is the northern region of Israel, and he spent much of his early ministry there. It says that he was preaching and he was evangelizing or bringing the good news. Here, Luke is highlighting the teaching ministry of Jesus. Other places, we've seen the miracles of Jesus. And we're going to see more miracles even in this chapter. Jesus do amazing things. But here, at the beginning of, of chapter 8, G, uh, Luke is highlighting the teaching and proclamation ministry of Jesus. And thus, in result, the responsibility for all who, who hear that teaching to listen carefully. The emphasis is on his teaching. Particularly, it says that he's proclaiming and bringing or proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. 
Jesus had good news about himself. He was the promised king of Israel. He was the great Messiah, the son of David, who could sit upon the throne and bring peace and prosperity to Israel. They, and so he traveled around proclaiming that news and calling people to repent of their sin, to turn away from their rebellion against God, and to turn and to believe in him. This is what the gospel writers Matthew and Mark tell us, that he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, in order for the kingdom of God to be established, he needed to repent and enter through that spiritual door of repentance and believe in Christ. They could not continue in the way that they were, but they needed to be changed before this could be established. And so Jesus' message was good news, it says. Good news of the kingdom. Good news because the Messiah was finally here, the promised one, the one who would bring restoration to this planet, was finally here. But as we'll see in this passage, some respond positively to that, but others do not. Not everyone hears it rightly. Some only hear it superficially. Others hear it savingly. And we get a list of the, a, a group of those who heard it savingly, those who truly, genuinely heard Jesus' words and took it to heart and were changed by it here in these first few verses. Look at it. It says at the end of verse 1, And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Here we have, a, have a, uh, uh, two groups. We have the twelve and we have some women. The twelve we've already met in chapter 6. They are twelve apostles that were chosen from this larger group of disciples who would be his representatives as they went around preaching and healing and representing Jesus. But in this context, they were those who truly believed. Obviously, we know the one who didn't, and that was Judas who would betray him later. The second group mentioned here is the women. And this is remarkable. We can't, we can't miss this. In that day and that time, rabbis did not teach women. They did not think it was worth their time or their effort to spend time teaching women. They only taught men. They were uh, many times supported by the wealth of women that could contribute to certain rabbis, but they, rabbis would not spend time teaching women, much less have them be a part of their disciples, be a part of those who would follow them. And so this declaration that Luke inserts here is highly significant for the first century to see that there were women who not only happened to hear Jesus' teaching on the fringe, but seemed to be somewhat integral into the part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus actually showing somewhat radical in that day and that time that his concern was not just for men, but for all people, for men and for women. It says that he, has, he healed these women. He transformed their lives. He, he cast out demons and also healed them of sicknesses. And so these women have such great love and affection for Jesus. They've heard his word. They believe his message. He is the chosen one. And they've devoted their lives to following him all around Galilee. Let's meet some of these women. Look who Luke introduces us to. First is Mary. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. This uh, church tradition has had a tradition that, that she was a prostitute. She was an immoral woman. But there's really no indication in any of the Gospels that that is the case. Maybe some have conflated her with the, 
the immoral woman that we, we met last week in the end of chapter 7, but there's nothing in the text that connects Mary Magdalene with such a lifestyle. It says that she's Mary Magdalene, called Magdalene. This means she's from Magdala. Magdala was a city or a region on uh, the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and so it simply designates where she is from. Next, we're introduced to Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. Most likely a woman from Judah, a woman of wealth and status. And so you have these women from all sorts of society coming together and supporting Jesus. Lastly, we're introduced to Susanna. We know nothing about her other than her name, but she was a woman who was healed by Jesus and follows him as well. And then notice that it mentions many others. This is just a sampling. But there were many women. There wasn't just three women that followed Jesus. There were many that were there, a part of the disciples, part of those who followed Jesus and listened to him. And again, this would have been unheard of for any other rabbis or Jewish teachers of that day. But notice what these women did. Notice what the text says, end of verse 3. These were the ones who provided for them out of their means. They provided for them, I believe, Jesus and the twelve, out of their means. Now, all, most translations have it this way, talking about providing or uh, for them out of their means. I think uh, the Greek word that's translated provided here is actually translated, it could be better translated ministering. And the new uh, Legacy Standard Bible actually translates the Greek here that way. It calls it, we're ministering to them from their possessions. And therefore, you get this heart of ministry that these women were doing. They weren't just throwing money at this ministry, but they were truly seeking to minister and to serve Jesus and the greater cause of what he was doing. They served. They loved the Savior, and they wanted to give of all that they had, out of what they had. And so, in this, we see a wonderful example that those who truly listen to Jesus, who, are, who believe him to be who he says he is, and believe the gospel are transformed in such a way that they minister generously. And I believe that the application for us is that we who have heard the gospel and have been transformed by Jesus will naturally give ourselves for the cause of Christ. We will give out of our possessions and out of our resources for Christ's mission today. Now obviously we don't have Jesus standing next to us, standing with us, that we can give our money to give our time and resources to but we can show our love to christ by showing love for his bride right by showing his love for the church i think of in the u.s when a, a veteran dies and the honor guard presents the veteran's wife with a folded american flag a somber occasion a somber ceremony but they thank her for the service that her husband has rendered to the country. And so, in, in other words, in the veteran's absence, his bride is honored. In the same way, today, in the absence of Christ, his bride is honored by us as we give ourselves to the bride of Christ, which is the church. Now, we don't have time to expand in all of this of what giving of our resources to the church looks like, but the Bible is clear that the church is sustained by the gifts of the saints. As we, as we give of our resources together, we continue the cause of the work of Christ. 
And Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so as we are transformed by Jesus and as we give out of our gratitude to Christ, we are blessed. We receive great blessing. And I'm so thankful for this church. I know I speak on behalf of the rest of the elders for all of your generosity. You guys understand this and believe this, that to give to to Christ, to support the cause of Christ, is to give to the church and to see the mission of Christ go forward both here in Upland and overseas. And we are uh, so blessed to see God's work in you. But I just say that maybe maybe you've been here for a while, maybe you're a member here and, and you're not participating in this way. And let me just say you're missing out on blessing. You're missing out on being able to see God work through your gifts and resources. And I encourage you to follow the example of these women here, that if you truly listen and believe in, to Christ, to, to give and to minister generously. Because when you do, you will receive blessing far and above that you could believe. So here, in these introductory verses, we see the first result of listening carefully to Jesus, and that is that they minister generously. But the second result is fruitful perseverance. Those who listen to Jesus and truly take it to heart, what will result in their life is fruitful perseverance. And we see this in verses 4 through 15, and this is really getting into the meat of the passage here before us. And this introduced goes into what is known as the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower, a parable no doubt you're familiar with. And the reason that we can often be so familiar with it is because it's mentioned in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All of them headline their parable, the parable ministry of Jesus with this parable. There seems to be a way in which this parable sets the tone and explains what's taking place in other parables. I think if we're choosing a title for it, it actually would be better to be called the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils because it's describing four different soil types that uh, the sower is uh, merely casting the seed, but what is highlighted is the soils. And so let's look at these individually. In verses uh, 4 through 8, we have the parable. In verses 9 through 15, we have the explanation. Let's first look at the parable. Verse 4, it's... uh, Uh, He describes the setting that a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him and then he speaks this parable. A sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. This first soil, the path soil, it's well-trodden uh, paths In those ancient times, there were these fields, and, and in order for the sowers to walk, in order to walk through harvesting, they had to have these paths that would cut through. And sometimes, even just the roads that people would traverse through a country might go through someone's private field. And so these paths were well-worn by generations. And so as the sowers got this bag of seed, and he's casting the seed out, and he's trying to get to the edge of his field, no doubt as he, as he coats the edge of his field with, with seed, some of it gets thrown into the path there next to his field. He would not be intending to sow upon the path, but it would, it would land there. But this, this, path, this dirt is so hard, there's no way for the seeds to germinate, to get into the soil, and the birds are looking for it, and they come down and eat up that bird seed. Very happy to have a meal. The second bit of seed we see in verse 6 is the rocky soil. Verse 6 is the rocky soil. And some fell on the rock, And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. 
Now, I know when I've heard this before, I've thought of seed falling upon like some gravel or falling upon some, some round rocks, river rock or something that's all kind of sitting, uh, maybe some of you have in your yard somewhere. But I don't think that's what's being spoken of here because seeds could still be able to find a root and be able to get through those rocks down to the soil as uh, many of our weeds uh, indicate, right? Um, but what this is talking about is that in Galilee, there was a limestone layer of rock that was often just below the soil. And so even though it might look like soil on the, on the top and on the outside, directly below the surface, there was really just rock that was right there. And so uh, what he's saying here is that it fell upon the rock. It had enough soil to be able to germinate and to sprout, um, but it withered away because it had no moisture. It tried to send its root down deep to get some moisture, and it got stopped by the rock and couldn't go any further. So that's the rocky soil. Third soil is the thorny soil, verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Now, we don't know if these thorns were already in the seed form as well or if they were already growing when the seed went down, but the point is the same either way. The, the good seed tried to grow, but it couldn't. The resources were already taken by the weeds, by the thorns. And so it gets choked out, and the good seed is not able to grow. Which finally leads us to the fourth soil, the good soil. Verse 8. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And, he said, and as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear here. This soil was probably well tilled. It was, it was soft and, and ready to receive seed. And so as the seed fell upon it, there was already moisture there. It quickly found a great growing environment. It sent its roots deep. It was able to find moisture and it ultimately then was able to mature and be able to produce a wonderful harvest. Now, notice he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He wants the people to be able to hear and to listen carefully to what he is saying. They must hear what he's saying, discern what he's saying, and act upon it. Now, if that's all you heard was this simple story about a sower sowing seed, it would be a little hard to discern what's going on. And that's why the disciples then go to him and ask for an explanation. All right, Jesus, what was that you just said out there? Uh, what are you trying to communicate? If you don't have this cheat sheet, then it seems very elusive. It seems very mysterious, which is in fact exactly what Jesus was wanting. So we are fortunate enough to have the explanation that then begins in verse 9. So they knew there was something important to listen to, but they didn't quite understand it. They're puzzled, and so they ask for the interpretation. It says, verse 9, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he begins to explain to them in verse 10. And look at what he says. He says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. To you it's been given. To you and not to Israel. To you and not to the crowds. He's going to speak about the others later on in the verse. There's clearly two groups here. There's you, the disciples, and there's the others. And in God's sovereign providence, he has given, it's a divine passivere, to you it has been given. Who gave it? God gave it to these disciples that they would know 
the secrets of the kingdom of God or the mysteries of the kingdom. This word mysteries is used primarily in Daniel chapter 2 as Daniel receives revelation from God about the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which included with the rest of the book, included in a prophecy about the future ages of human history, the kingdoms that would be coming, and ultimately the Messiah's kingdom that would destroy all the other human kingdoms and be set up, set up upon the earth. And so to here, Jesus is saying the disciples are privy to the previously undisclosed truths about God's kingdom. That's what this secret or this mystery means, is it's previously undisclosed truth. It's things that are in addition to what had already been revealed previously. And so Jesus says that these disciples have been able to, been given these secrets, these mysteries. And particularly, it's about the kingdom of God, the kingdom program, the great culmination of history. And with Jesus, this this age of fulfillment has arrived. And so these truths, these mysteries, are continually revealed throughout Jesus' teaching. But here is a truth about the reception of the gospel that he wants his people to know. What are the mysteries? Well, one of the mysteries is the fact that in, from this parable that not everybody believes. Not everybody hears the word of the king and believes it unto salvation. That's at least the mystery revealed here about the kingdom. In other words, even though the great Messiah is here announcing his arrival, only a fraction of the people will truly, actually listen and place their faith in him. But notice, in the same breath that he tells the disciples that they received this special knowledge, he tells of Israel's hard-heartedness. He says, to you it's been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So there's this, there's this uh, revealing that's taking place by parables and there's also a concealing that's taking place. A revealing and a concealing in the same thing, in the same parables. By quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, here in this verse, the verse saying, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. By quoting Isaiah 6, Jesus is saying that the Israel of his day is, has the same spiritual condition as the Israel in Isaiah's day. The Israel in Isaiah's day is identical to the Israel in Jesus' day. They are both hard-hearted. They are both non-receiving of the gospel, non-receiving of the word of God. Their hearts are hard. And this is the continual problem of Israel. They even to this day, there is a partial hardening come over Israel, as Paul says in Romans 11. That hardening, that inability to see and to understand is still there. Will one day be lifted. One day they will see. And one day they will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will weep for him as they weep for an only son. The prophecy of Zechariah says. But for now, they don't see. And so with this, Jesus then goes on to explain the parable. He first says that the seed is the word of God. The implication is that he is the sower. He's spreading the seed in Israel. It's a seed that comes from God. It's the word of God. It's his word. But now Jesus reveals that the four soils that he revealed earlier really are four different audiences. Four different audiences. And we need to look at these audiences this morning. 
We need to see what these soils represent. We need to see, do, any, do these soils represent any of our hearts? Are they, do any of us see ourselves in these descriptions? We want to be those that hear the word truly. And so let's look at these first, back to soil number one. The, the path soil is here explained in verse 12 as hard hearts. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. The word of God comes to these people, comes to their souls. They hear it, Jesus says, but they do not find receptive hearts. I think to understand the, the illustration from the path, their hearts are hard. The, the, the word cannot penetrate. It sits upon the surface. And so it's e easy for it to be snatched away. Here he says that the devil comes and snatches away this seed, snatches away this word. And here we recognize that Satan, the great enemy of God, is at work every time that the word of God is proclaimed, seeking to snatch away the word from those whose hearts are not receptive. He wants to take it away so that people may not believe and may not be saved. So they might stay in their obstinacy. Now, someone might rip this verse out of context and say, see, I can't be judged for my sin. I can't be judged for my unbelief because the devil takes it away from me. But that not only is against the rest of the Bible, what the Bible says, but against this, even, even this passage. The implication is that everyone, no matter the condition of their hearts, is to hear. He says, him who has ears, let him hear. You all must take care how you hear. It's a responsibility upon every single person to, to assess the condition of their hearts and to receive the word of God, the word of the gospel. In Matthew's account, he says that they uh, do not receive it because they do not understand. And so this soil was not ready. It was not prepared for the gospel. It's not receptive. It's closed off, and therefore Satan has ready access to it. Today, the, this kind of soil represents those who are absolutely hardened to the gospel. Those who have stiff-armed God. Want nothing to do with it? Don't want to hear it? Sit there hearing it, and yet they are unmoved and unbudged by it. And these people are lost and in a desperate condition. And so we pray that God would break their stony hearts and be softened. The second soil that Jesus identifies, the second audience, is shallow hearts, verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root, and they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. These, uh, the word of God comes to them and, and there's, there's some germination and the, and the seed kind of takes root and there seems to be some belief for a little while. There's some promising signs. It says they even receive it with joy. This could be one who comes to faith and they seem to be on fire for Jesus and they're just excited about everything, excited about church, excited about the word, excited about the gospel. They're so thrilled. But notice what happens. There's a time of testing. There's a time of of persecution or suffering that comes and they fall away because they have no root because truly they've heard superficially but they have not heard 
savingly. It has not, they have not actually confessed Christ as Lord. They found an excitement in the gospel. They think there's something great there for them. And so they, they come around the church and they, they hear the word of God, but, but it hasn't truly taken root in their hearts and lives. And so when, when they're pressed and when persecution comes and, and time of testing comes, their true colors are shown. That really, Jesus Christ never was Lord of their life. They never really clung to him. They continued to cling to themselves. And in time of testing, that's where they reverted to and their true colors have shown. The problem is internal, revealed by an external circumstance. The external circumstance at the time of testing, the internal problem, notice he says, is that they have no root. They have no root. These people have not gone all in with Christ. They flirted on the edge. They believed while it was convenient. But when things got hard, they did not turn to Christ for their strength and source of life. And they showed that they were not trusting in him fully. You see, faith is not just a profession on the lips sometime in our lives. Faith is a constant, ongoing belief in Christ in the heart. and really involves the, the mind, the heart, and the will. We've got to know the truth of Christ and the gospel and believe it. We've got to be convinced of it for ourselves in our heart of hearts. And we've got to cause us to motivate our wills to act. And that is to fully trust and depend upon him no matter the circumstances. It's a total package of belief. This soil shows they didn't have that. And I'm sure many of you can think of many that fall into this category. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, then you know friends, family members that have believed at one time. There seemed to be such hope, such life, such joy in the gospel. And yet now, there seems to be none of that. Jesus explains what's going on in those hearts. They were shallow and they never truly believed. They never truly listened. The third audience and the third soil that we see here in this text is, uh, I say, crowded hearts. And... My notes, it's spelled wrong, and therefore on the slides, it's spelled wrong. It says crowed hearts. <laughs> That's my fault. I look down, I go, that says crowed hearts. That doesn't say, it's supposed to be crowded, crowded hearts. <laughs> Verse 14, as for those what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Here we have those whom the word of God goes to them. The, the, the word of God lands in their life and heart. They listen to it. They hear it, he says. But there are other things that begin to show up in their life. And particularly he mentions three things. He mentions cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And these, are they not the timeless tactics of the world to seek to draw true believers away from Christ? These things that begin to gnaw and pick away at us. It's not the sudden attack. It's the slow chip away. It's the erosion of wave after wave that begins to eat away at the sandy seashore and the sandy cliff till it continues to eat and erode away. And so the cares of the world, the anxieties, the worries, 
These are the many things that are in life that cause us to be concerned. The anxieties, the anxieties that, that we deal with every day, right? As we look at everything that's going on in this world and, and, and those cares can weigh upon us and they can eat at us and they can continue to, to gnaw away at our faith and, and we wonder if God's really in control. And we question whether he really knows what he's doing. We question about the future. We wonder what our future and the future for our family and all this begins to erode our faith. It begins to choke it out, Jesus says. But not only our anxieties, it's riches. The allure of money and wealth has been the perpetual uh, temptation of mankind since the beginning. Greed and the promise of comfort and happiness and safety by the accumulation of wealth is a never-ending pursuit, and our world is always pushing for that and therefore tempting God's people to be about that pursuit as well. And it begins to chip away, oh, just a little bit more, right? Isn't that what uh, Rockefeller was uh, purported to answer when asked, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. You can think that you have so much, and yet the heart of greedy mankind is always wanting more, and that becomes our God, and that becomes our idol. And we think that it is from that that we're going to receive our happiness, we'll receive our comfort, we'll receive our safety in this life and in this world. And friends, that is what chips away at our faith if we buy into that lie. But that's not the only weed that pops up. Jesus notes pleasures. Pleasures. These are the things that feel good in this life. The things that draw in our senses. This can be anything from sexual immorality to entertainment. The things that physically, bodily feel good. It could be eating. It, whatever these pleasures are of this life that just feel good and we just continue to pour into those, we continue to indulge, and that is the message of the world, is give in to your flesh, give in to your heart, and you will find happiness. Friends, those are weeds, those are thorns seeking to choke out faith in our hearts and our lives. They grow up right alongside our faith. They sneak into our life. It starts small. We don't recognize it at first, and pretty soon we look at our lives and we realize we have allowed this thorn, this weed, to grow ginormous, and our faith is just about choked out. The world and church history is full of people who have abandoned the faith eventually because of these thorns, because of these weeds. And it's drawing people away even today. Notice that no matter the vice, no matter the thing that's pulling them away, they all have the same problem. The faith is choked out and their fruit does not mature. They don't actually produce the, the full evidence of faith. One commentator put it this way. He said, like a proliferating cancer, gradually killing the body, or a destructive parasite little by little destroying its host. So also these thorns slowly but surely choke the souls of those people who extend a welcome to them. And so these people never produce fruit for everlasting life. Paul wrote of one such as Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, where he simply writes, Demas has deserted me, and implication has deserted Christ in the ministry, because he fell in love with the present world. Demas deserted because he fell in love with the present world. An illustration of this thorny soil here. But did you notice that in each of these three bad soils, the, the plant lasted a little bit longer. In the, in, the, in the beginning one, 
it didn't even sprout. In the second one, in the rocky soil, it sprang up shortly and then died away. And then in the thorny soil, it lasted a little bit longer. It continued on as these thorns continued to grow. But in all of them, the seed did not last. They failed. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. There's one final soil that Jesus mentions, and that is the soil of good hearts, verse 15. The soil of good hearts. He says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. These represent those who are truly saved. The people who hear God's word, take it to heart, it takes root in their, in their lives, and it grows and produces fruit. The illustration of the seeds is simple enough. But Jesus says that these in the good soil are ready for the seed. They're ready for it to be received. The soil of their heart is a good soil. It's a good and honest heart, he says. They want the word. They're ready to receive it. They say, yes, I need this. I want this. They receive it humbly, recognizing their need for it. And then they, notice it says that they hold it fast. They hold tightly to this word. This is not a superficial, oh, sure, I'll take the seed. I'll take the word of God. Great, thanks, glad I got it, and move on. This is an all-consuming clinging to it with their life. They hold too fast to it. They continue to cling to it. They never let it go. It's a treasure. It's the most important thing to them that they have Christ and they have his word. This holding it fast is another way to say that it turns from truth outside of us to conviction inside of us. A true believer takes the word that is proclaimed in the word and to us and it, it lands in our hearts and turns into convictions that begin to hold us. Jesus says here that they bear fruit over time. The ESV uh, there ends the verse with saying that they bear fruit with patience. But I like the translation of endurance or perseverance better. The idea is that by persevering, by continuing on in faith, the believer produces gospel fruit. The believer produces gospel fruit. And friends, this is the point of this parable for us this morning, is that true discipleship involves faithful endurance. True discipleship involves faithful endurance. Christian discipleship is not just a confession at one point in our lives, one and done, we're good. Yes, we do believe, and there can be that moment of salvation, that moment in which our eyes are opened and we see the truth of the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. It continues on day after day, year after year, to the end of our lives. There must be endurance for there to be salvation. Now, this is... Not to say that we are saved by our continual uh, works. No, the endurance is the result of God's work in us. But we must continue to believe. We must hold fast to Christ no matter what. And then if we look back through all of these soils, we recognize that all these things that happen are going to happen in our lives as well. And we must hold fast to Christ to endure to the end. All of these bad soils, or all these bad soils had a seed that died off. But the good soil had a seed that continued on and endured. 
And so we must hold fast to Christ when Satan attacks us. We must hold fast to Christ in a time of testing or persecution. We must hold fast to Christ when worries threaten to, to bring us down. We must hold fast to Christ when riches threaten to lure us away. We must hold fast to Christ when pleasures tempt us with fleeting fulfillment. Friends, this is what happens when we, when we truly, carefully listen to Jesus. We believe faithfully to the end. We have faithful endurance. And this is what God does in us, bringing us to the end. So when we listen carefully to Jesus, first, there's generous ministry. Secondly, there's fruitful endurance. And thirdly, there's increased blessing. These last two uh, paragraphs we'll look at briefly. This uh, section includes, is included with what we've just seen because of the exhortation in verse 18 to take care how you hear. In other words, Jesus is still here in the business of help, helping us to think about how to listen. Verse 16, he talks about a lamp being put up on a lampstand. I believe he's speaking about his own message, the message of Jesus, that it cannot be hidden, it should not be hidden, but what he has to share needs to be put on a lampstand for all to see. It's, a, it's light that's intended to go all around. But verse 17 says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, or is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. He says, listen, there's going to be a day when everything will be revealed, and I believe he's speaking about the condition of every person's heart. How you respond to that light, how you respond to Jesus' teaching, how you hear will be ultimately revealed on that last day. You might try to hide it now. You may try to hide the condition of your heart now and, and might think that others may not see where the condition of your soil, but it ultimately will be revealed. In other words, get this, every person will be held accountable. There's accountability that is coming. It will all come to light. And so that is why, verse 18, take care then how you hear. Think about how you're listening, making sure you're truly hearing because there's a judgment day coming. And there's eternal consequences. He says, for those who believe, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Those who truly believe, those who have the good soil, will be continue to receive instruction from Jesus, receive blessing through the gospel, will continue to grow in their faith. God will continue to pour into him. In fact, for all of eternity, he pours into his people. And so, from the one who has, more will be given. But, he says, those who have not, whatever they think they have will be taken away. This was an indictment on Israel and is an indictment on those who fail to believe today. Those who think that they believe, think they have spiritual status, think they have safety because of some sort of knowledge, because of some sort of experience, but haven't truly trusted in Christ, Jesus says, listen, what you think you have will be taken away if you are not truly listening to me and truly believing. You've got to believe unto, unto faith. So Jesus says he will be taken away from that generation. And so the point that we need to see is that those who have believed will in, receive increased blessing. Those who do not believe, even what they think they have, will be taken away. But finally, the fourth and last result in this passage of those who listen carefully to Jesus is a new family. A new family, verses 19 through 21. This is a small vignette recorded in all of the Synoptic Gospels. Mary, Jesus' mother, along with 
her other male offspring that she had with Joseph uh, came to, uh, uh, to seek Jesus. Again, this is a, uh, this is a totally side point, but this is a, one of those verses that proves that, uh, disproves the perpetual virginity of Mary, okay? She, she had more children, um, and she had them uh, with Joseph. But these are Ma- Mary, his mother, his brothers come to him. They may think that Jesus is crazy, like Mark chapter 3, verse 21 says, we're not sure, but they try to get to him, and there's a crowd that, that blocks them from getting to Jesus. And so he, they have to relay a message up to Jesus and say, hey, tell Jesus that we're here, tell Jesus we're here. Gets all the way up to them. Jesus receives this message, and, and then he just uses this to make a point. And he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And here Jesus radically defines his family Those who belong to his family from now on are the spiritual ones. He still has and he loves his mother. There's an incident at the cross where he takes care of his mother even as he is passing away. He still cares for his family. But as it relates to those who are his family that he identifies with, he's saying, I primarily identify with those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who obey. And so here we see him pull together everything he's been saying throughout this passage. Hearing is vitally important, but we can't let it go in one ear and out the other. We've got to believe. We've got to let it stop and sink into our hearts to plant a root, and it's got to be there day after day after day, and each day we say, Lord, please help me to walk faithfully with you today. The idea of endurance through all of life sometimes can be exhausting, sometimes can be overwhelming. Lord, how can I be faithful in the midst of the onslaught of my faith? How do I be faithful for decades? God's only calling you to be faithful today, to make faithful decisions today, to trust him today, and trust that he'll be with you tomorrow to help you on that day too. Friends, we must trust and believe in Christ. I don't know this, the condition of your heart here this morning, but these, these, these soils reveal several different conditions. I encourage you, look upon your own heart Those of you who have a hard heart towards Christ, may the Lord soften that this morning and may you be open and receptive to receive his word. Those of you who have shallow hearts, may you you not allow it to just go into just a mental ascent of Christ, but may it go deep into your hearts and may you trust him wholly for your life, for your eternity. And for those of you who are trying to play this game of believing in Jesus and yet live for the world, may you see the warning of this passage that the world will ultimately choke out that faith if you do not pluck out those weeds and give yourself wholly to Christ. There's a need for repentance in each one of these soils. But know that these are not permanent, that you can turn to Christ. The gospel is open and available to everybody at any moment. You only need to turn to him in repentance and faith and find life and to be able to turn into this good soil. And so do not turn away the offer of grace of Christ today. May we all do what James 1.21 says, that we would put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are sobered by the need to hear rightly. And Father, we can so often 
allow things to go in one ear and out the other, to not truly hear it. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to take the warning of this passage seriously. Help us to listen to the word of God carefully. I pray that you would give ears to hear this morning. That you would enable those who have bad soil within their hearts, Father, that you would soften their souls. You would help them to see their need for Christ and that you would enable them today to receive that word and that that word would germinate and that it would be lasting. Produce faith that would last a lifetime until you come again. Father, we recognize that we do not produce good soil in our hearts on our own, that we are totally dependent upon your grace. And so we cry out to you that you'd keep our hearts soft. Help us to receive your word wisely and well. And may we be faithful to live according to it as long as we live. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, may we go out with the word of God, trusting him completely and finding him wholly true. You're dismissed.